And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. Ari, I've gone a week without football. Well, sort of a week without football. I did watch some XFL. I watched AJ McCarron complete the the onside kick pass play the, the thing i've been begging them to do to get rid of the onside kick and run up make them run a fourth down play they did it you've been begging them to do that well not the xfl like college football the pros because i was gonna ask you what do you think of that rule i love it i because the, the kickoff is physically a dangerous play and a it's become kind of a boring play because people just like kickers can knock it through the uprights on a kickoff now. Like if they want to do a touchback every time, they can usually, unless they slip. So yeah, so, you're always like for the entertainment factor of like Yes. I've got a confession. I gotta tell you this. Yeah. I bet on the Battle Hawks today. Oh. Feeling good about that? I am, but I turned it off. Like what? I thought it was over. Like I didn't know. I I missed the comeback. And then I saw, so when I saw in the ESPN app, just the score, I was like, how the hell did that? Because they were down by, by two scores with less than a minute left. And then I saw the rule and I was like, huh, I didn't even know about that rule from the 25, which is about, it's about the same level of, of success as a, as an onside kick. Now they've continuously, well, they keep changing the rules of the onside kick to make it hard. It's to make it safer but it has made it harder and harder to convert an onside kick as they've con- as they've changed the rules cuz it used to be you could you could have everybody over on one side and kick to that side you can't do that anymore everybody has to be spaced evenly uh, you could do a lot of you know, kind of fake out type stuff now you can't really do that and, and in the I'm XFL you in, can do that at any point right the team that is yeah i think you have to be trailing but i don't see why you should have to be trailing i think any team should should be able to do that. Like, hey, we just scored a touchdown. We want to run this play because if you don't, if you don't convert, it turns over where you are. Twenty-five, yeah, or or at the thirty-two. If you didn't, you know, if you gained seven yards. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, because you're all for the entertainment factor. Well, to me, I, it does seem that it would be easier to pick up fifteen yards than it would be to get an onside kick. I think it would be, but I think that's also why they're doing it from the twenty-five and not the thirty-five. They're adding a little juice to it. Okay. Because I, like, yeah, I would say it probably the needs right to be players. like fourth and, fourth and 18 or fourth and 20. Fourth and 15 is a nice round number. I think fourth and 20 would be, would probably be better. Fourth and 20 like, from the 35. I'd go with that. I, I can live with that. Something that's really, really hard to convert. Cause I do think that you could hit a 15 yard seam route. I mean, in college football, especially if you think about that in the Pac 12. Well, AJ AJ McCarron hit a whole shot on against a zone, basically, 
and it was a pretty throw. Like it, you had to, you had to throw, thread it in there, and he made a pr- very pretty throw. Could you imagine Pac-12 after dark with this rule? Oh, it would be amazing. <laughs> like it one of those Dorian Thompson Robinson games where it's like every play is a twenty-six yard game. Yeah, and and look, they they've just they've changed the rules on the onside kick so much that it feels like it it's almost impossible unless you get just the perfect bounce. So let's. And, and let's let's make it something people understand, like actual football players playing football as opposed to a kicker getting the ball to bounce the right way. So like Andy Staples, the commissioner of college football, the man in charge of everything. Yeah. You have the gavel in your hand. Bup, 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 bup. Yep. You changed it to this? Yes. In college football? Yes. I wrote this column 2011, 2012, something like that. I, I don't know where if I've been living under a rock, dude. I had no... I had never heard of this. Like when, when this happened today, this was the first time I've ever heard of this idea. Yeah, I, I, I suggested that, and I was not the first person to suggest that, but I, I, was, I was behind that years and years ago. I love the idea of football players playing football to get the ball back. So I also think you should punt instead of kick off. Like run the actual punt play because then you can fake it. Is it so that way you don't have to change the rule. You, it's just it, what, it, whether it's fourth and 15 or fourth and 20, whatever you decide is the conversion required to keep the ball. If every kickoff is a punt and starts out like a scrimmage, but do you have play, to get into a punt formation? Yes. And so, but you can fake it. And if you gain the required yards, you can keep the ball. But what about in situations where everybody or, knows that you're going to you, have to, or go you can it. line up and run a play? Like if Okay, you want, so you don't have to time. line up in the punt formation. You can line up five wide yeah, with yeah. the quarterback out there. Exactly. As long as you line up in a legal football formation that isn't a kickoff. Like that any legal you know, line of scrimmage formation for a regular down. That's what I'm saying. And because that's what the punt formation is. The punt formation is a legal formation. Oh man. You know what, man? It's like I, I kind of like get into the idea of spicing things up and changing things around. But I'm not somebody who likes to tinker with shit. Like I, I, I just oh, I like, know I, it I don't like changing the, when I when I bring that up. The only I don't want to change I'm, the game systematically. The, that would change the entire I, strategy of the game. Not really. I mean, it would change it in a good way. But the only I reason I say this is because they keep changing the rules on the onside kick. So it's not it's not the onside kick we remember when we were kids. Well, I think you need to tell people just so they're they're clear, like what the changes of the rule were to the onside kick and why it's harder. Well, especially because of targeting involved, you can't hit somebody the way that you used to be able to hit them, which is the number one thing. You can't send multiple people at somebody to knock them over and then go send somebody behind them to grab the ball. You can't load one side up. You have to, you have to spread them out. And uh, Stephen Larkin mentions Greg Schiano has occasionally advocated since, since one of his players got paralyzed at Rutgers on a kickoff. That's exactly right. And that's what the first column I wrote, I quoted Greg Schiano a lot in that column. I talked to him for it and said, Okay, explain to me what 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 you would prefer, because that was after Eric Legrand got hurt, and I thought he made a lot of sense. I thought Shiano made a ton of sense, and it was it was him who suggested this fourth down play, and then you just figure out what yardage it should be. It's a really cool thing. It, it's much more fun, I think, than than some, you know, ex soccer player trying to get a ball to bounce the right way. Yeah, um, that. Yeah. And then see, that's why I think they should make kickoffs punts also to improve the element of surprise so that you can surprise and the punt people. is a safer play than the kickoff. The punt is a much safer play than the kickoff because people are not running 20, 
Like in a kickoff, you have the the people who are trying to make the tackle and the people who are then blocking getting like a 20 yard head of steam before they collide. Yeah. In a punt, you have people now occasionally you'll have that, but most of the time you have people defender or punt return people who started at the line of scrimmage shadowing tacklers down and then blocking them. So and then the and the person who's receiving the punt also has full control over whether or not he wants to be hit. Exactly. Exactly. And now in college, I think in the NFL, it's it's a little easier to return a kickoff for a touchdown than a punt. But in college, it is much easier to return a punt for a touchdown than a kickoff. And so you actually get more returns and probably more exciting returns that way, too. Yeah. So it is we'll funny. See. It's like because like we did say uh, goodbye to football last week. Yeah, and it was hilarious. And here we are. I've been watching college football. <laughs> I've, I've been watching college basketball all weekend because I need to watch mm-hmm. something. And yep. I turned the XFL game on and my wife came into the room and she goes, <laughs> can I use explicit language on this podcast? Uh, you go ahead. No, I, I won't because there's kids listening. But okay. she goes, what the F is that? <laughs> <laughs> like angrily, I said, what do you mean? What is that? She said, I thought football was over. Yeah. Because she's the wife who loves football. Football never first, ends, baby. For the first month of college football season. Then by December turn comes around, she's just at the end of her rope. So I kind of feel bad for her, uh, you know, oh, now so that we have this. She's basically a college football writer. Uh, yeah. Well, the thing about it was, is I thought that game was completely and utterly unwatchable for the first four and a half quarters to the point where I shut it off. So I'm happy there was a, there was a uh, fun ending to it. But I, God, that was bad football. Like, I just, I couldn't. Did you watch the game? I did not watch the whole game. I saw the end of it. I think there was like 100 yards of total offense in the entire game. Well, that's what I was wondering because, like, I, I saw McCarron's stats at the end of the game, and then it showed what his stats were in the fourth quarter. And I was like, did he not start the game? But I think he did his, start the game. I think his team had 65 total yards in the middle of the fourth quarter. Yeah, they had not moved the ball. <laughs> so Clearly, they had not moved the ball. You know, I, I don't know. Like, if the XFL is going to make it, I understand the – the different in rule, the difference in rules, but they have to find a way to make because, like, I feel like this is worse than you know low level college to watch. Well, it, it's it's not as exciting as college football because you don't have that emotional investment. The players are good; they're not as good as NFL players. They're probably better on par than than a lot of college teams. But I don't think that the teams that were playing in the XFL. I don't know. This would be interesting what, to hear what you think. Do you think the te- the best team in the XFL could beat the best te- could beat Georgia? No, no, I don't either. Yeah, no. Like the worst team in the NFL would beat Georgia by three touchdowns, but the way the more best than team, three, I think. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you just find you just find those two players that aren't going to be in the NFL and pick on them the whole time. So it's it. it would Are be there very two easy. players on Georgia that aren't going to be in the NFL? Uh, well, in the, in Georgia's case, you're going to find the two players who are only going to be in the NFL for a year. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, what two players were that are yeah, those Andy? exactly exactly <laughs> uh, but I, it will be funny because it is like okay we're like 10 minutes into this thing and we i thought we had an interesting college football discussion we we have a very one interesting but but this actually turned into a college football discussion because this is something i've wanted to see for a while and i'm glad we got to see I just the it, thing so. that i want to know for from you is and i guess this you know the expansion of the playoff we know where we both stand on that mm-hmm. but and changing the rules for the way things work outside of the game is one thing. At a certain point, would you be like, okay, I've had enough change? Sure. Like with, when it comes I've, had to- enough, I've had enough change of the rules with the onside kick. I'm done with it now. No, I know what I'm saying. Like, how much would you hold, like, how many wholesale changes would you make to the actual rules of the game before it would annoy those you? Those are the only ones I want to, well, those are, those are the only ones I want to make 
except for one in college that wouldn't be a change in the pros. If you if Is you catch the, the ball, if you catch the ball and dive and nobody touches you, you can get up and run with it. Oh, okay. Yeah. What so, about the fumbling out of the end zone? No, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm fine with it too. There has to be a penalty for that. So and and it, it works well. Yep. So oh, Taz nine ninety seven says XFL got rid of the fumble through the end zone for a turnover. I see that's ridiculous. Don't don't get rid of that. See I, again, I don't agree with every change. I, I the I see here the kickoff thing. The kickoff has been so neutered. One by kickers who can just blast the ball through the back of the end zone, and two because they've tried to make the the onside kick safer, but have changed the rules so that it makes the onside kick almost impossible. Like it, it's not the same thing you're trying to defend. It's and not you can't, and you can't just say, put the ball at the 25 after every change of possession. Right. Because then you would remove the chances of retaining possession after you scored. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I guess if you wanted to do that, but the thing that would be interesting is, is like if there was a team that just went for it every time, well, there are like, certain right, coaches the Kevin, that just don't the Kevin care Kelly about... thing, the, the guy when he, well, he used to be the Pulaski Academy coach in, in Arkansas. The guy who never punts? He never punted and he did an onside kick after every touchdown. So that I, I don't think you can do that in college. He tried to do that at, at the FCS non scholarship level. It did not work very well. So I don't think you you would have to. Do you to think that, that anybody at the, at the power five level could get away with that? No, you'd have to adjust strategy a little bit. The players are significantly better. What would the adjustments be to your strategy if you were to do that? I, I never, think pu- just, never punt in plus territory. Never punt in plus territory. I, I might never punt if it's fourth and four or less. Like I might even, yeah. I might even go for it inside my own territory, depending on down and distance. But how much of a difference is fourth and four and fourth and six? It's like statistically, yeah, it's a major difference, right? You got to draw the line somewhere, right? And and the the stats will tell you where where the line should be. I think the line is four yards. That's why I was asking. But yeah, I, I mean, I or I might even that might be a sliding scale based on where the line of scrimmage is. Like if I'm on my own thirty, it's going to need to be fourth and three or less. I would never voluntarily give the ball back to the other team if that if I were out of their field goal range, mm-hmm. and if yeah. the down and distance was less than ten. Right. So. The, the rule should be now in your mind as a, as a person deciding what to do on fourth down, yards are cheap, points are precious. Because field position becomes... saying that to yourself, that's, that's what matters. You keep saying to yourself that field position means less and less as the years go on, doesn't it? It's like it, you have teams in college football putting up 550 yards of offense well, they've made, and losing they've all made the so time. so many rules to hamstring the defense that you just have to accept that yards are going to be gained. I mean, there's still a lot of coaches in college football, if you watch, you know, you do, who are punting on fourth and four from the 40, opposing well, 40. Well, is just doing like, it because his defense is amazing and his offense isn't very good. But, like... It, I think the defense being amazing is the reason to go for it. Well, Harbaugh has been a very kind of analytics-driven go-for-it-on-fourth-down guy. Like, he's not conservative at all when it comes to that. I, I think if you look at him, he does it pretty much... By the analytics book, not by the the old school book, and it seems to work pretty well for him. I would, so. I mean, yeah, I would go for it. I think most of the time. Yeah, it, but I right. would just, the thing I would I would like to see is it to actually be done, because I could be wrong and it would be a disaster. Oh, you but I'd like to see a team that was. Punt. 
Yeah, like I'm talking about like a middle tier, like 500 team. Well, you saw Kiffin try that against Alabama a couple years ago, and they just did, they didn't get him, and it it didn't work. So, but but I didn't disagree with the strategy because the talent gap was so wide that it was the only way they would have had a chance to win. Yeah. Also, too, like if I were a team that was a 30 point underdog, I would never punt. Yeah, that's a. It, it's a very interesting question, like, because it's easy to say, and then you get in that situation, you're like, okay, I'll punt, because I'm going to look like a moron if I go for it. We don't Everybody's win. more afraid about looking like a moron instead of doing the thing that makes them most likely to win sometimes. I know, I know. But you and I don't have our jobs on the line when we're making those decisions, and I think that's that's something to remember. If you're a 30-point dog, you're going to get your ass kicked no matter what. I also, the yeah. cowardly field goal. That's another thing. But you don't want to get me started on that. Oh, yeah, we can do it. Let's, let's get into some of our questions because we, we, we've asked ourselves some questions that we want answered during spring practice. And, and believe it or not, spring practice is closer than you think. We are, we're on the tail end of February. There are going to be some teams that start spring practice next week. There will be a lot of teams that start first couple weeks of March. So we are, we are in this thing. So let's start with, with question number one, Ari. Who's going to be the new starting quarterback at Georgia? Who takes over for Stetson Bennett? Because that's an interesting conversation. It looks like they they know who their guy is. And if that's the case, it also means you probably got one X five star in the transfer portal. Yeah, so it's not JT Daniels. Uh, no, JT Daniels is <laughs> now at Rice. I know, I know, I know. I'm just kidding. The man, the, the man has been on every roster. And Keaton Slovis is now at BYU. Because, come on, why yeah, not? Yeah, so, um, yeah, the, the question isn't so much who's going to be Georgia's starting quarterback. It's who's going to be the beneficiary of one of the five stars who are left out. It is, and, and that's an interesting question because I do think there's some schools sitting there looking, saying, you know what, if there's a quarterback that's really good post-spring in the portal – we can bring him in and give him a chance to win the job in the fall. So, and and that's, I don't like Kirby smart. Can't drag this thing out. It's, it's not going to work that way. Coaches are going to have a hard time. We think Carson Beck's the guy, right? He's the backup last year. He seems to have, have made the most progress. And, and so you've got Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton. Stockton's younger. So I'm thinking he's the backup maybe, but whoever's the backup, stays because then you're one play away from being Georgia's starting quarterback. And then who's the, whoever the third guy is, and you should kind of know that by the end of spring, that person's in the portal. Yeah. And you got two was Stockton and to five star. I, I don't I know remember. if he did. Uh, he and Vandegrift were both very, were highly very highly recruits. rated player. Yeah. So, and Carson Beck, I believe was somewhere in the mid two hundreds. He was a, he was a four star, but they, yeah. they, they do like him and, I, I everything I've heard is that he is set to be the guy. Well, let me ask you this: to lose because when the Justin Field stuff happened uh, at Georgia, I think there was a a large contingent of fans and even Georgia fans that doubted whether or not Kirby Smart knew how to manage the quarterback room or choose the right guy or anything. Right, like like that he was kind of a mess up when it came to the quarterback position. Do you remember those days? I do. It was not that long ago. Do you think that he, his decision-making on the quarterbacks, like he's absolved of that now? Like, do you fully trust Kirby Smart to make that decision again? Well, he's not making it. I mean, Mike Bobo is going to have a lot of input in making it too. He's making it. Yeah. I do think Mike Bobo knows a lot about quarterback play. 
So yeah, uh, and he's been well. He's if that's the case, then how can year, Carson, so Carson Beck even be the leader yet? Like Bobo hasn't even been on campus for more than ten minutes. Bobo was there the entire year last. Oh, oh, last year. Yeah, yeah, my bad. Yeah, yeah as an analyst, yeah. my bad. Yeah, yeah. So he's seen all this. He knows what he's looking at. So it, it, it he doesn't come in having to make up ground or, yeah. or figure out how each guy ticks. They already know. So uh, Odo two two four. Two current Georgia QBs could start against each other in the Florida Georgia game next year. Listen, if Stockton or Vandegrift's in the portal, I would imagine Florida would be interested. Are you saying that you don't believe in Graham Mertz? I'm saying Florida needs another quarterback on the roster, too. Like they thought they were signing Jay. Remember, they had two quarterbacks I mean, committed can, at one point, they can and neither one of them is in the class. Get whoever they want. They already know who the starter in Gainesville is next year. DJ Lagway? No. He's not there yet. <laughs> Graham Mertz. <laughs> My guy. Well, Dude, listen. If, I don't care what the odds are. I'm betting to him to win the Heisman next year. It, what a story that would be. And and it would be great for him. Yeah. So I I, I am all for redemption arcs. You know how much I like those. So Yeah, that's another that thing happens to be great. SC scout guy. Gunnar Stockton was committed to South Carolina for a while. Yeah. Um, and South Carolina is going to be losing Rattler. So, um, but if Gunnar Stockton is, is the backup, I stay at Georgia. Yeah, because if because Carson it lacks Beck, foresight for you to bail on on being the backup quarterback at Georgia to be the well, starter here, at South Carolina. Here's the other part: if Carson Beck balls out as the starter, he's been in college four years at that point. He's a redshirt junior, right? Yeah, he's going pro if he has a great year. Yeah, maybe. I mean, who knows in the era of NIL, but he's a prototypical sized NFL type quarterback. If he has a great year at Georgia, it would not be shocking if he went to the NFL. Yeah. So if you're the, if you're the backup, then, and Matthew, uh, an SC scout guy now in a little fight in the, in the chat, Stockton was only committed to South Carolina because of Bobo. Yes. Remember Mike Bobo was the, uh, the offensive coordinator must champs last season at South Carolina. So, but, but that is, that is one that I think will be a good one to watch because I don't think you can drag this out until the fall. I think they've kind of shown their hand on the starter. So now we just got to figure out who the backup is. Well, the best, the best possible thing about the uh, quarterback carousel here in the spring and the transfer portal in general is that we're going to get to see a lot of high profile dudes that were big time names in the recruiting game. Mm-hmm. not win jobs and then transfer. And then we get to live the excitement of recruitments again. Cause this is going to be, there's going to be, I mean, you just go right to the Ohio state one now. Cause that's the next yep. question, right? So that, the, the next like question that's... is who is, who is QB one at Ohio state. And it, it, this is, this is one where, so we can relitigate Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow. All we want. The fact of the matter is they were both first round draft picks. So if you picked a quarterback and he became a first round draft pick, I'm not faulting you for that. And Justin Fields, first-round draft pick. C.J. Stroud, first-round draft pick. They're on quite a run. And whoever gets this job gets to throw to the best receivers in the country. Yeah. Um, McCord has obviously been there for a year longer. Um, But my understanding is that Ohio State really likes what they have in Devin Brown, too. So, um, you know, I don't know who's going to win the job, but I assume that who doesn't is gone, right? Right. Now, do you think Ryan Day can stretch this into fall camp to make sure somebody stays? Yeah. You know, I, you know, what is your take on that, though? Like, 
Don't you think that's kind of messed up? Oh, I think it's very messed up. But and I also think NIL can kind of force somebody's hand on this because if if the if it looks like because this is a lot of times we see it stretched into fall camp when we pretty much know who the starter is. I think if you have that situation going on at a place like Ohio State or a place like Georgia or a place like Alabama, there will be a lot of tampering where people say, listen, you're not going to get the job. Come to us now and we'll give you a chance to start this year. Devin Brown during his recruitment, and I never know you know, what to believe when people say it. But Devin Brown was very uh, understanding of the situation at Ohio State and made comments about staying there long-term to be developed. So I don't know if it's a guarantee that he would bounce if, well, if McCord won the job. Is that not Carson's Beck, Carson Beck's situation at Georgia? Yeah, but I also he think that if McCord doesn't win the job, then he's her. he's going to leave because he well, would have been in the program now for – would that be his third year now? Yeah. Well, and so, and, and so – I think that's that's the interesting situation. If if it looks as as the spring goes on, like Brown's going to be the guy. How many people are are reaching out behind the scenes to McCord, saying, "We might you might start for us this season." Yeah. So you know the people don't remember this, but during the beginning portions of C.J. Stroud's tenure at Ohio State as the starting quarterback, like the first month of his starter. Uh, starting career, like there was mm-hmm. a lot of doubt about whether or not he had it, you know? Yeah. And there was one game where he was injured and McCord started. And when mm-hmm. McCord started, it kind of felt like if he played really, really well, that he could have taken the job from CJ. Yeah. And he played fine, but like McCord is a dude too. So, and he, and Marvin Harrison I, was his receiver I, in high school. I would say that a lot, uh, I mean, most of the quarterbacks, Ohio state recruits are dudes. Like, yeah. Wouldn't so, you, who wouldn't want to go there and throw to those receivers? No, I know. I know. So, you know, as we get into spring, it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out and if there seems to be a leader. But I've covered a few uh, quarterback competitions at Ohio State, and they do a really good job of making sure that nothing seems apparent to anybody. So, um, yeah. But that's that's different now. It, the the yeah. world has changed considerably, and there will be pressure on on – I bet there's pressure on both people with a chance at the starting job if there's no obvious starter by the end of spring. Yeah. And I mean from outside. And, Financial and, pressure. Just yeah, it's just what it yeah. is. Yeah. So this is it, it's absolutely fascinating. We got more good questions though. We're gonna take a little break. We'll be right back. Answer more questions we want to know by the end of spring practice. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, Ari. Another quarterback question, but I feel like it's a good one. It's one you asked. And and look, this is one I think the, the average casual fan is asking because they've heard so much about this person. Can Arch Manning have a real chance to win the starting job in 2023, or is it Quinn Ewer's job lock, stock, and barrel right now? You know what the, the actual question I have is? What is the rep? What are the reps going to look like? It's a good question because, you know, with Quinn, he, he played the whole, he didn't play the whole, so he was hurt some of it, but you want to have, if he's the, your starter, you want him in there with those offensive linemen as much as you can and and you still you've got some jobs that, that that you're gonna settle, but you've had some young young guys that were really good last year. I would want Quinn playing with them if he's the guy as but, much as possible because he's still in the middle of his development. Yeah, yeah. I I want to see what Arch can do. I mean, the the beauty of spring practice is you you do get a chance to let your twos do some stuff, and you can sprinkle Arch in there with the ones if you feel like he's ready. But they don't have to do anything with him and i i don't think that arch or his camp are going to put any pressure on anybody to start right away like, that never seemed to be part of no. the recruitment no well you know the, the number one thing with people whenever you tweet about tech there's two programs that i feel like gets the most hatred in my mentions whenever i mention them in any way and that's a&m and texas mm-hmm Whenever I tweeted anything about yours, everybody had this general assumption. And I don't know if it's just, you know, mainline trash talk, but it was always like, well, it'll be fun to see Quinn uh, in the transfer portal again, you know? Yeah. And A, he already transferred once. So, you know, that would be an interesting situation. Still, you need a waiver. They're giving waivers, but it's still not a guarantee. Right. But I don't know that. I thought he played fine in his first year. And I know the way that he was rated and the hype that he had in high school, like you would hope that he would have been a Heisman finalist or play at that level. Mm-hmm. But I saw enough out of Quinn last year to think, Hey, this guy's got a shot to be really, really good. Oh, and like yeah. he, he did play like, even if you go back and remember like his first real start against the team uh, or a good team, Alabama, like before he got injured, he looked like very poised and confident out there. He did. Yeah. You know? So I, I don't know if I would be willing to give up on that yet. Um, but on the other hand too, it's just like, if Arch Manning is, he was the most hyped pro like if you think Quinn Ewers was hyped, right. Arch Manning was the most hyped prospect I've ever seen. And well, I was yeah, a kid when Terrell was Pryor was going through it. And I remember yeah. that was a really big one. But Terrell but his, Pryor wasn't the nephew of two famous Super Bowl winning so it was, quarterbacks. How much better would Arch Manning have to be that, uh, 
to even win that job from a roster standpoint. Like, even if he was 10% better than Quinn, I don't know if the juice would be worth the squeeze there. Yeah, I mean, if he's if he's better, the, the locker room knows it. They're not going to revolt or anything like that. But I just think coming from where he came from, playing where he did at a private school in Louisiana, it may take some time. It, it may take some time to, to get ready and some time to, to adjust to the speed of the game. And I, it, it sure seemed like they set up his recruitment so that he would get that time, not so that he would be thrust into a, a, a quarterback controversy early on. And Quinn Ewers is draft eligible after next year, right? He is, yes. If he has a good season, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, he can leave. And look, given the quality of the quarterback class this year, somebody like Quinn Ewers who who checks a lot of the boxes in terms of size and arm strength and all that stuff, look. Would he be the youngest player in the draft, though? I don't think so. He'd be a third-year guy. No, I know, but his first year was a high school senior. Did he do the? Uh, did he do the? the Remember, Southern he enrolled in Ohio State early. I know, but did he do the Southern quarterback redshirt? Is the question? Yeah, I don't know how actually. He was like born, he was born in two thousand. He was born in two thousand three, so he he'd be about the same age as as people who started school normally at at, at if they were born in two thousand three, and came out after their third year. Are they twenty? They're twenty one usually. He'll be. He would be twenty one. He would. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, yeah. So I mean, oh, no, I don't he'd know. be he'd be twenty. So he'd be he'd on the be younger 20, end. Yeah. Yeah. He'd uh, be on the younger end. But you know, I don't think that's within that's outside of the realm of possibility. So like, I'm gonna say this right now. I would be pretty surprised if Arch Manning was a starting quarterback for Texas next year. I would be very surprised because I don't think they they were looking for a place where he'd be thrust into that role. Now, if somebody if Quinn Ewers gets hurt, that's a different story. But I don't think they wanted arch to have all that pressure on him because they're smart they understand how all of this stuff works like yeah it that's not a recipe for success there used to be in college football a general understanding that no matter how good you were as a quarterback you were not going to play as a freshman right and the development in the weight room and the eating plan and the understanding of the playbook the the assimilating to college the the gaining leadership in the locker room all the things that you read about and coaches will tell you about has gone to the wayside because really, really good quarterbacks want to play early now. So if you have a situation where money is not an issue with the family, you have a quarterback uh, excellence in your DNA, and you understand that, hey, if it takes you almost year, said he pisses excellence, didn't you? No, but he probably does. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I mean, Texas is the man is the program with the P chart, so they could test his P. Uh, <laughs> You are a bad man. Um, no, so it'd be uh I think that it makes sense to give him time. And then when he's actually ready to go out there and play, it, he he stands a lot more to gain from being ready and, and to look the part. But on the other hand, the flip of the coin too, Andy, you know this as well as anybody, quarterbacks in 2023 um, are far more equipped to – compete earlier on based on the private coaches that they have and yes. the personal trainers and the, and the dieting, reps they take in the seven elite on 11s seven. and the Absolutely. seven on sevens. But the yeah. thing about Arch is he didn't participate in a lot of camps. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he wasn't really a part of all that. So that to me, I wonder too, like, and I know he had great coaching. <laughs> I mean, that's not a problem, yeah. but you know, he is a generally fascinating human being to follow. And I'm excited yeah. to see, you know, in the spring, you know, you can you can flip up reps 
uh, a little bit more because you're not getting ready for a football game. This is a developmental time, but it is an interesting dynamic because you want Quinn to get as many reps with the ones as possible. If he's going to be the the quarterback, because he's still developing. But on the other hand, you might want to see what you have in arch. And this is the whole thing that, you know, but I think think there's enough reps to go around, especially if you have a situation where the the person who's going to be your backup understands they're going to be your backup. Yeah. Now the one thing that could throw a wrench into the whole thing, Andy, is if arch just goes out there and looks like John Elway. And listen, if that happens, you start the best player. There's no messing around with that. Start the best player. Yeah. Like don't don't tempt fate. How many <laughs> coaches in person, college football? Though, how many coaches in college football do you think simply just start the best player? It's it, it's it's hard. Uh, I go back to 2016. Nick Saban did start Blake Barnett against USC, but it was very clear they've been getting Jalen Hurts ready because they thought Jalen Hurts was the best player. In my time covering Ohio State, I think I could name 10 different instances where the best player was on the field because of seniority. Yes, that, that's but that's one particular head coach. Yeah. Well, two particular head coaches, both of whom valued seniority. I'm not talking about Ryan Day. I'm talking about Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer. Yeah. Um, uh, my first year on the beat was his last year. Uh, but but yes. I, 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 do think, I do think now, more than ever, Coaches understand you just play the best guy. You see what Joshua just put up there? We put that up there. <laughs> Read it. Ari, would you just sacrifice this Texas season to have the next two seasons be better? Hmm. Now, well, those would be your first two seasons in the SEC. So it's there a you go. Kicking the knackers, that question, because you know how I stand on that. I, I do. Also, too, the upside of the current starter uh, at Texas is a little bit higher than Sean it's pretty, Clifford's. It's but, pretty yeah. high. Yeah. Yeah. So this will be this will be a very interesting offseason at Texas just to see because they, they got to win. Like they're going to the SEC that they're going to have a, their talent, especially in the line of scrimmage in 2024 and the, and the maturity of it and the, the where it'll be in terms of class balance. They're probably going to be as well set up as they can be to go in the SEC. My next question is actually about the other team that's joining the SEC in 2024. It's Oklahoma, and it's can Brent Venables resurrect the defense? Because I, I, you know, it felt like that defense got better last year, and I just went back and looked at their game log. It got better last year because they played some bad offenses in a row after playing some good offenses in a row, and so they, you know, they give up. 8.9 yards of play to TCU, 7.2 yards of play to Texas, 6.9 yards of play to Kansas. And then suddenly it drops to 4.5 yards of play to Iowa State. Well, Iowa State's offense was terrible last year. They they had a good game, a decent game against Baylor. Baylor's offense was inconsistent last year. They had a good game against Oklahoma, against West Virginia. Their offense wasn't good last year. Oklahoma State also not good. Then they go lose to Texas Tech. And give up 51 points. You know, Andy, <laughs> there were some games last year for Oklahoma's defense that was so pathetically bad. TCU. And I, I realize I, I, realize I don't know that you could, got hurt, but that doesn't absolve you from being Swiss cheese on defense. But I don't, you know, if it's bad enough, I feel like who you're playing doesn't matter. Like you, you take, you take whatever you can get. Um, yeah. And I think that you could also add into 
this question. I mean, the USC, and if they can fix their defense, because it is interesting. And the reason why I brought USC into this is mm-hmm. Lincoln. This is a Lincoln Riley problem at Oklahoma that has now followed him to California. And it's a problem that's now remaining in Norman. And a lot of these big 12 defenses, I mean, how many years was this an issue with any of the big 12 schools? Um, I mean, Oklahoma's defense, even the years they were making the playoff was, wasn't very good. Right. And my number one question has always been, and I had a theory about this and I, and I've been meaning to try to write about it actually. Okay. And I'm going to, I want to bounce this off of you. All right. If you go look at the two, four, seven sport composite rankings Mm -hmm. for the state of Texas. Yep. You find a lot of offense in there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, a lot of offense. And I wonder if the big 12 mentality has had an impact on the high school level in the state Ari, of Texas. The the Big 12 took its mentality from yeah. high school in the state of Texas. But so, be, but because yeah. because of it though, when a coach gets a really good player or athlete at the beginning of their careers at the high school level, even if you just dismiss where it originated from, the fact that it exists, the best athletes in Texas high school football play offense. Correct. So when you think why in Oklahoma, you got to say this, you can't ignore this. Oklahoma signed a hell of a recruiting class this past year. Mm -hmm. So you have hope from a talent standpoint that the tide is going to rise. Yeah. But it's hard for these teams in this conference to build a defense when their main recruiting territory is so offensively oriented. But guess who has put together dominant defenses in recent years? LSU, Brent Venables, <laughs> LSU. T- uh, well, yes, also LSU, but Brent Venables understands exactly what you're looking for. He yeah. knows where to go to get those plays. Like, where's Christian Wilkins from, Ari? Where I don't know where he's from. He's from Massachusetts, and he played at a prep school in Connecticut. And he's one of the best defensive linemen I've ever seen with my two eyes. And he went to Clemson because Brent Venables went and got him. Yeah, so that, so basically yeah. what you're saying is, is because he was a genius defensive coordinator under the best or maybe and, one of the but, best. But also a maniacal recruiter. And evaluator, I think, is important, yes. too. Um, yes. You would probably bet if you had a duck race between Brent Venables and Lincoln Riley, which head coach is going to figure out the defense first? You'd probably put Oklahoma in. in I'm the picking lead Venables, absolutely, because based on track record. I'll give you another. One. Where's Isaiah Simmons from? Uh, I don't know, but I know he's a three-star quarterback, uh, three-star Kansas. prospect. He's from Kansas. So, like again, that is Venables going and getting them where they need, where they are. Like he's going to have to go outside Oklahoma's traditional recruiting territory to find the players to stock the defense. Yeah. And also, he's got to make sure they understand it and he and they can coach it. Because, you know, last year it, it felt like, oh, you know, well, his defense is very complicated. And it takes – no, if it's complicated, simplify it so you're not so bad. Yeah, like, well, the thing that's interesting with Venables is he came from a place that is by far the biggest exception to the Stars rule. Right. Except except they did like on defense for the most part, they they stocked it with stars. Like they they had good, highly rated recruits. Yeah, but Isaiah Simmons and Christian Wilkins were probably two of the best players they ever had on D, and both of them Chris, were Christian Wilkins was a five star who everyone wanted. Yeah. You know, and they and and they had other guys that, that like Tony Seward was a five star. Like 
a lot of the guys they got were high four and five star guys. I'm just trying to go think that, like back to like two, the, the 2015 class. You that's know, Wilkins freshman year. He was a five star. Uh, he's from Connecticut. Um, yeah, he played at a prep school in Connecticut. He's actually from Massachusetts. Yeah. Okay. So they had they've had a, a bunch of top 100 players on defense. So, yes. And so guess I guess who was the, responsible for recruiting most of them. Yeah. Okay. So basically, what you're saying is, is Brent Venables is going to recruit like a maniac, get a bunch of top 100 players, and fix it with talent rather than being a genius that that spots the, guys. Yeah, this is not a, this is not a genius thing. This is this is a go get guys. So like, this is he fits the mold. You could probably make the case that he fits the mold of um, what it takes to be a head coach from a recruiting standpoint at a powerhouse more than even Dabo does. Right. Exactly. Now the question is, can he handle the game day piece of it? Yeah. Can, can the teaching part work? You know, that can the offense work and we'll see. Everybody loves the quarterback they have coming in. That's the one when you talk to people, he's the best quarterback recruiting. in the, in the two, four, seven. Right. No, so, no. I mean, not in the two, four, seven. He's the best quarterback in the class. Right. So he may, and, and he may push Dylan Gabriel for the starting job. It would not shock me if Jackson Arnold was the starting quarterback at Oklahoma. Yeah start the year but yeah it, this is interesting I, I i hadn't noticed this before but you you actually had me call up the 2015 clemson recruiting class yeah so three of the four power rangers were in that class that great defensive line yeah christian wilkins number 24 overall cleveland furl number 115 overall austin bryant number 200 overall the next year they got dexter lawrence who i believe was a top 10 recruit he was a five-star player yeah yeah uh, so so yeah i yeah that defensive line that basically won them the national championship along with a pretty good quarterback were all top 150 players for the most part, except one. Yeah. And yeah, I, I didn't Bryant. remember that correctly because I thought there were a few in there that weren't. No, they, they were, they, they did occasionally out, out, out evaluate people, but on defense, they, they kind of are out recruited a lot. So that's the part I think is really interesting. And it is crazy to think that like, as the biggest exception to the stars matter rule. They also recruit the hell out of the defensive line and they recruit the hell out of the quarterback position, yeah. which might be the explanation of how they were able to do it. Yeah. I, I am just ready to see it, but, but what, what's the formula here? Did you recruit the best quarterback? Yes. Oh, they did. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, this is going to be I, – I just think – And I think that was the most exciting thing for Oklahoma because not only did they raise the bar of the mm -hmm. defensive talent they were bringing in, they also maintained the ability to sign the best quarterback without Lincoln Riley. So, like, if yeah. you are hoping that Oklahoma is going to be um, able to get back on track, you could make the case that Oklahoma is probably better situated from the talent coming in than it was before. Now, I'm not a they got better without Lincoln Riley person. I, I no, know there's a lot of people I, in Oklahoma that would like that. that. You're right. We'll, we we need to see that for real happen on the field. Because there's but, one thing that Lincoln Riley has that he doesn't, and that is a staunch resume. A bunch of Big 12 championships, yes. Yeah, but of also designing offense and creating development at the quarterback that's been unprecedented at any other university. Like, other – players have been good and other offenses have been great, but like the Heisman thing is insane. Like they're, it's crazy. And, you know, and the, and the first overall pick thing or the first yeah. round pick. And, and just the fact that I have another one, watch like, it. Caleb's yeah. going to be another one. So it's, it's all right. When we come back, we got to talk 
about the, the program we can't stop talking about this offseason. What questions do we have about Colorado coming up this spring? Because, good Lord, we we have lots of questions about Dion and what's going to happen because I'm fascinated there. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, Ari, the guy we can't stop talking about. What is Coach Prime's first spring practice going to oh, look I like? You were I talk about Brian Ferentz. Well, we can't stop talking about him either, but I think we know what his spring practice will look like. I, I think that's pretty much set in stone. I know Cade McNamara has told us, get ready, they're going to torch the world, but I kind of, I kind of know what they look like. Sean Lewis running that offense at Colorado with Shador Sanders piloting it. Mm hmm. Is Travis Hunter, how much of how much is he playing both ways? What did they get out of the portal? You know, do some of those young guys that they recruited step in and play right away? This is a team that needed massive roster overhaul. I don't want to make this about the quarterback again because it's always about the quarterback, but I, I am it genuinely kind of curious. is though, a lot of in a lot of how cases. How curious, like of all the storylines in the offseason that you could have, how curious you would be you are just to see how good Shador Sanders is. Like, what if he's, I don't know. Like, let's say Caleb Williams is a 99 on the Madden scale. He's an yeah. 89 or a 93 or a 91. Like he's like really, really good. Well, it'll be, it'll be a great way to just supercharge their program right away. They need that. And now here's the thing. There's a lot of good quarterback play in the back 12. Think a lot of good coaches about too. Right, and think about think about what's just just what's coming back. Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., Jaden Delore at Arizona, mm -hmm. uh, Caleb Williams. We've talked about him plenty. <laughs> then you're adding DJ or uh, Cam Ward at Washington State. You're adding DJ. Oh, Cam Rising at, at Utah. Now I will we'll see if I, I don't know if he'll be able to start the season because he got he had a torn ACL in the bowl mm -hmm. game. So he might. I bet he will. But, I bet he will. Yeah, but. Then you got DJ Uyunglele coming in at Oregon State, where the pressure's not really on him. This is a team that beat Oregon by running the ball like 17 times in a row. Like yeah. he's not going to be relied upon to to be the engine of their team. He's another nice part that they've added. So yeah, also be, UCLA got mm -hmm. Colin Schley, the the best statistical performance against Georgia last year from Kent State. Now yeah, Garber, also and Dante uh, Dante Moore's coming in. Dante Moore's coming in. Ethan Garber's though. That's the one I would think wins the wins the job right now. We'll see. Maybe Dante Moore wins it, but th th there's a lot going on. Very good. There's a very good quarterback competition at UCLA. 
Yes. Yeah, that's an interesting one. <laughs> of, of the ones we talked about, that might be the, the most spicy because yeah, we don't know how that one's going to monster. Out. Yeah. And one of those guys may wind up in the portal. That's another one. If you're a team that isn't quite sure if you have your starting quarterback on campus right now, you're watching that one pretty close. But the Colorado one, that offense seems pretty easy to pick it down. You mentioned Colin Schley. And I said, best statistical performance of any quarterback against Georgia's defense last year. That, that was Sean Lewis's offense. Shador Sanders coming in. We saw him run the Jackson State offense very well. Obviously, this is a step up in competition, but he's going to have a step up in teammates as well. So this is going to be a lot of fun to see. what And what is Dion going to show us? Because I feel like what Dion has done, and he did it at Jackson State, and he's doing it again at Colorado, is he's taking us behind the curtain showing us a lot of things that we know happen at a lot of programs, but nobody will put a camera on them. Yeah. We should be able to watch spring practice from our living rooms there, right? I think we're going to see the the juicy bits probably in the part, the parts they want us to see. Yeah. Uh, so Damani with it, with, with it, it says Colorado only needs to win four to five games first year. I, I'm, that's fine. Like it, they won one game last year. They were terrible. Like, I don't think anybody's, saying they're the they need to win eight or nine games this year if they can make a bowl game that's i mean that is a massive improvement so what is the win total for you that's success there five i'd say five is a success and i mean like their starts pretty rough like they got tcu we'll see about we'll see what nebraska is i don't know what they're going to be but then they've got usc and oregon early like it that's the thing that can kind of beat you down. I think it's if better. You're not careful. It's better to upload or to front load, right? Rather than to drop games while you're finding yourself to beatable teams, and then get the easier part of the schedule at the end when you're starting to come together. Yeah, but yeah, like and and Stephen Larkin here in the comments just said it. If they go four and eight or five and seven or whatever. Like, what are those videos going to look like on YouTube? <laughs> yeah, is it, now I. I think they're fine though. I like because I think people understand the how hard the job is. Yeah. Like I don't think people are gonna be all over the guy if he's four and eight, especially if they show improvement and like some of the eight are close. Cause there's a, a probably a large portion of people that don't think that he could even run a functional program because he hasn't had an experience. Right. And they don't they don't give him credit for doing what he did at Jackson State because he had better players, but as we always point out on this podcast, that's the job. Yeah, exactly. You're supposed <laughs> so, to get better players than everybody else. But I, I also <laughs> think, too, that like running a program at the FCS level is experience. Like to say yeah, that exactly. he's inexperienced, I think, is wrong. Yeah, I am really interested to see what he does because it will be probably telecast to us on Instagram and on YouTube and a lot of the different steps we're going to see. And yeah, I, I think they've they've done a good job of making that the most interesting program in the Pac-12, even though there's a program in the Pac-12 that that returns the the Heisman Trophy winner that's in Hollywood, and there's a program in the Pac-12 that has won the last two Pac-12 titles, and there's a program in the Pac-12 that has a, a, a starting quarterback who, you know, was the Auburn starter for three years and then came and had a, an incredible year. I mean, it's that league is going to be just wall-to-wall fun next year. I'm ready. I'm ready for that. I do like, too, that the Pac-12 
the banner of entertainment value if you just take away USC because obviously it's it's one of the main pillars, but the, the programs that are remaining in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. You know, good I mean, ones. Washington. Yes, yes. I mean, Michael Penning Oregon, back. Utah, Oregon's still there. Yep. UCLA, Colorado. No, UCLA's leaving. Oh, sorry, not UCLA. <laughs> I, if you haven't noticed too, like it's like, I still can't believe it. Uh, it is that one. It's like it's the UCLA so USC yeah. thing is the hardest thing. Like Oklahoma and Texas, like you kind of get. They're massive programs. Oklahoma can next, drive, right? Exactly. To multiple SEC schools. Yeah, yeah. They, they border multiple SEC states. Like you get that, but it is really hard to wrap your brain around UCLA and USC being in the yeah. in the Big Ten yeah. in two years. Yeah, I remember it's been it's been over a year. Yeah, it's. Wait, did it's, that happen this year or a year before? That happened. That was in this June, year. This was in June. June. Yeah, in June of last year. Yeah, <laughs> it's just. I was eating Subway when that when that news broke. I was recording a podcast with Doug Haller about the Playboy All America team. Yeah, and I go, Doug, I think we have to stop now. And we both look at our phones, and it's like tons of slack messages and text messages because wilner just put that tweet out yeah i was covering the elite 11 and there was discussion about me leaving the elite 11 to go to westwood (laughs) golly all right we we've had a a great discussion about spring practice but we do need to talk about this this thing that appeared on twitter this weekend so this is from jamie allward and it's a photo of the first popeyes in paris Mm mm-hmm and Jamie reports that they have not been there yet because the line is always out the door. It's been it's been open for a few weeks. I just got to say, I, I've rarely been as proud as an American as when I see that line of, of Frenchies waiting for Popeyes. It was like, funny because when you texted yeah, those me, I people that my who res- think those people who think they invented cooking. Well, they haven't been to our Louisiana kitchen. Uh, the funniest thing. Or I thought it was funny the way I responded. It's like about time these people found some culture. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, the one of the responses in 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 the tweets was was fantastic though because somebody said, "How do you how do you increase Popeye employ, Popeye's employees' normal indifference to customers? Make them French people serving American food to tourists." <laughs> yeah, you know the, the funniest thing about Popeye's to me is that like it's really good. I think they've yes. got top tier fries. Mm-hmm. Probably, I don't know if I'm going to say this. Okay, I'm going to say this. I think okay. may have the best chicken finger in fast food, even more why so on, than Canes. Why on earth would you get chicken fingers at Popeyes? No, I'm just saying that if they got good seasoning, if you want chicken are fingers, you the, you're not one of those people who doesn't eat bone in fried chicken, are you? No, I like bone in fried chicken. Okay, um, we're we're gonna have to have. But a I'm talk. saying if you were driving and you wanted chicken fingers. And they were next to each other. Would you go to Cane's or Popeye's for chicken fingers if that's what you wanted? Oh, I think I could do well either place. And I also that, think, too, yeah. that bone-in chicken is a really hard thing to eat while driving. So if you're driving. I, dis- I disagree. Now, I, you're I big would say. Fried chicken breast guy behind the wheel? I would say put a towel over your shirt because you're going to get some grease. Isn't that the, the definition of hard to eat while driving? It's it's pretty difficult to eat while driving. But <laughs> yeah. I'm not. that doesn't mean I haven't done it. That doesn't mean I haven't achieved it. So... Yeah, and also too, you like you're like shaming me for getting chicken fingers at Popeyes when they also have great shrimp, and everybody was going there last year for their sandwich. 
Well, they, they do fish sandwiches during Lent, so it is fish sandwich season at Popeyes as well. So, Wonder, baby, let's go. Yeah, so I, I'm just I, I'm proud of Popeyes. I I, I want, them but to I take never go the there. World. I don't really ever go there. Like when I'm in my fat stage, you know, where I'm like smashing fast food. Like I, I never. Maybe you and should I never. Occur. I for me that they're. they're where I live, there's one in town. It's not conveniently located to me, but there's a, a kind of a, a path I, I drive when I'm going somewhere else where the, there's a very easily located Popeye's that I can just turn off and grab it, and that's usually when I get it. The last time I went to Popeye's was when they released the fried chicken, or I mean the, the chicken sandwich. Yeah. Because everybody was getting it. Um, but I don't remember the last time I ate bone-in fried, fried chicken. chicken from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it might have been... Maybe it's a, a rare. Yeah. I don't. I don't eat a ton of bone-in fried chicken anymore, just because of the health reasons. I I ate a lot more growing up. Like it was a probably, I'm ashamed to say, probably three four nights a week kind of meal. Why are you and ashamed of that? It's really bad for you, and it. You just got done dragging a few weeks ago about how much Long John Silver's you used to smash on a regular basis. Well, yeah. I, I'm ashamed of that too. Like it Don't messed be. all of that messed me up for a long time. So I now have a healthier relationship with food. But that said, now I but I have a theory that fried chicken, like elite fried chicken, there's the smallest gap between elite yeah. and and normal in fried chicken compared to any other food. Well, you, like, well, like the thing about it is, is that like when you think about getting fried chicken, you think about KFC and Popeye's. Well, like, like, I don't even know where yeah. I would go. And let's just say like, I'm going to go have fried chicken tonight. I don't know where else I would even go. Like what babe's chicken. Dinner, you, you guys have babe's chicken dinner house in Dallas. That's just the experience alone. It's oh, good I chicken guess too, but... cracker barrel. But even then that's not a, nah, they don't, their fried chicken is not that great, but like the best fried chicken I've ever had is the original Gus's in Mason, Tennessee. And it's great, but in terms of how much better it is than than the average eight piece box of Popeyes, or I'm in Publix territory, like Publix fried chicken is incredible. But I think so that's like that I... eight piece Publix fried chicken, the gap is small. But if I were going to get fried chicken, I think I might go to the grocery store. Oh yeah, that's a, a like H. I, I imagine in H E B has good fried chicken in Texas, but I will. I, I know Publix has great fried chicken. That's but there if, aren't if a lot of restaurants said, out there that specialize in that dish. Like, if you want to get a hamburger, right. there are 50 places within two miles of my apartment that are, or my house that aren't fast food that serve a good burger. Right. No, you're right. Fried chicken requires a commitment. Like, you need to have multiple fryers, and you need that's what you're serving. It is the main thing you are serving, and you don't have a lot else. But why are there no restaurants that are just main, like Andy's Fried Chicken House? Like, why don't those exist? I just named one. I know. You named in five. In your area. Five <laughs> Babe's, places. Babe's Chicken Dinner House. But, I've well, lived in Dallas for three years, never heard of this place. You're, just, you're missing out. It's family style. You pay a flat fee, and they just bring you as much fried chicken and mashed potatoes Babe's, as you want. Babe's Chicken House? Babe's Chicken Dinner House. There, you can also get chicken fried steak. See that? That's one of my food rants, by the way. Okay. There is a place called Burger House in Dallas, which is just a fast food restaurant. Right. And oh, I, I, I went, I've already went on this rant with you. When we got, we ate fry, a fry, uh, I got a country fried steak sandwich when we were in Oxford. Oh, at Ajax Diner. At, Why in Oxford, country yeah. fried steak isn't 
as widely served as a fried chicken sandwich blows my mind. I, I don't it should be a main staple at every of these fast food. Yeah, I don't understand it either. And and where I grew up, it was much more common. And for you, where you grew up, you probably never found it anywhere. You might never. have found it never. Yeah. So like the hearty steak biscuit was my favorite biscuit growing up. And that is a, a chicken fried steak biscuit. You just remember the frenzy that everybody went on when the Popeye's chicken sandwich came out. When's the last time there was a frenzy for the I don't the think people are country aware. Fried steak. I, I tell you what, that Ajax country fried steak sandwich is one of the best things I've ever eaten. I will life. tell you, and I don't, and this isn't Ari Wasserman hyperbole. That might have been the best sandwich I've ever eaten in my entire life. It was so good. They put mashed potatoes on the sandwich. It, it was the perfect. The bun was great. Yep. It was the probably the best piece of uh, chicken fried, fried steak, steak that I've ever yeah. had, or chicken fried steak I've ever yeah. had. Yeah. And the mashed potatoes and the gravy. It was just the perfect sandwich. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Like I the, just talking about that sandwich makes me drool. So I am I am very glad that we have had this discussion. I'm very glad that people in France get to experience Popeyes, get to go order. Well, I imagine you're in France, so there's a lot of employees who at restaurants who aren't real happy you're there. But we we're importing a special brand of that to you because Eventually, you get delicious fried chicken and hopefully biscuits, too. You know, my, my dad and I ate lunch at McDonald's in Italy <laughs> once. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call a quarter pound in, a quarter pound it's, in Italy? It's a Royale with cheese. <laughs> oh, just like in France. Okay. I, I don't nice. know. I just thought it was like, I, I just remembered thinking like, you're like, we were in Cinque Terre. <laughs> we ate lunch at McDonald's. And you're like, let's let's get a play. You want to talk about the staple of American tourism right there. That's That's amazing. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I did not eat at any we were in Italy for, for two weeks in two thousand eight. I don't believe I ate at any American. My life goal because so. Britt and I were talking about going on a vacation to Europe when Liv gets older and getting dominoes in Italy would be the greatest thing. <laughs> dominoes. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Just like like taking a picture underneath the Eiffel How Tower do you with say a box cheese? of cheesy bread in french well the eiffel tower is not in italy but you get the you point. mean the leaning yeah. tower of pizza yeah, whatever it is yeah yeah Just, uh, any one of you go to capri or any one of these uh italian uh italian landmarks and just sit there i don't the uh, i've been to capri i do not believe they have a mcdonald's or a kfc or any of that i've been to capri too so. uh and uh but it would be cool a lot of langostino little Domino's big big langostino there. territory there yeah yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is this is great. So, uh, <laughs> French people enjoy your Popeyes. It's a rare delicacy. You, sh you should appreciate it. This show is a rare delicacy. We're here. I, I there was a there was a note in the chat way back, probably about fifteen minutes in, and the commenter was asking, "They make you work on Sunday nights during the off season." There is no off season. College football never stops, people. Mm -mm. Like this is what we do. And talking so, to each other doesn't feel like work. Let's be honest. No, come on, come on. We we get into the Popeyes discussion. We get into the yeah. fried steak discussion. If we were on the phone right now, just shooting the shit, we would be talking about that. This is exactly what we'd be talking about. So, no, there will be plenty to talk about. We've got shows all week. Uh, we do have a, a special guest coming up Wednesday's episode. We'll we'll let you know. As we get close, we're going to make sure it's all locked in, but but special guests coming. And 
We got to get you ready for the draft that's coming up. The combine's coming up. There's there's all sorts of madness to talk about. So, Ari, it's been a pleasure. Now I really want Popeyes, but I have to go to sleep. We'll talk to you later. Thank you.